0: Uh, right Let's talk Norman Jewison So Yes What do we n- Not 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 Jewish
1: As we've established <laughs> before <laughs> As yeah. he has established repeatedly
0: Let's talk Non-Jewish filmmaker Norman Jewison <laughs> In the heat
2: Opposing the the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want
0: to tighten their control. control. They want to uh, sideline <laughs> uh, <laughs> moderate forces. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. Is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard
3: left famously yeah, cannot tolerate
0: any dissent, <laughs> dissent. whatsoever. we know who
3: the hard left are <laughs> or in the. who associate with the hard left. You just said so that we a- were right, to right wing. I'm the hard left. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation. That sort of hard left wing position. hard so left, left. The hard 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 left.
0: Now should we fa- dig up because like the first time I think we mentioned Norman Jewison on show, the show we talked about maybe roller ball or something. We had to draw attention to the fact. But (laughs) he has a really funny sentence on his Wikipedia, (laughs) which is, Jewison is often mistaken for being Jewish due to his surname and direction of Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar, (laughs) but he and his family are in fact Protestants. So, he's actually a Canadian director, where he's worked all his... I think all his most of his films actually because I watched a Quebecois film of his last night but almost all his films are made in America he basically was in the Royal Canadian Navy for <laughs> well he said two years on the podcast I listened to but I guess it was all crammed into 1944 and 1945 so he mm. must have fought in World War Two then and he was discharged and he traveled down to the American South so far his Wikipedia is all correlating with what I have heard from the man himself on some podcasts. In the South, he saw segregation and a racial inequality down there, which would go on to have an impact on his later work. Another thing that I think would make and more sensitive than most white directors to the concerns of black Americans was that when he became a television director over in America, which was a path to Hollywood for many directors including Sidney Lumet had pursued sure he would direct all these variety shows starring these big stars so they would include the Judy Garland comeback special featuring appearances by Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin specials by Danny Kaye Jackie Gleason and most importantly Harry Belafonte the great black american kind of renaissance man Like a great figure of the civil rights movement, an actor, a singer, a really powerful figure, and Jewison, even then, this is by his own account, this isn't mentioned on the Wikipedia. Imagine that, us having information from outside of Wikipedia, but he (laughs) said that... The first song he chose, so, so Harry Belafonte was like, look, we've got to be careful. You're a fucking Canadian, Norman. You don't understand how Southern Americans think. You know, we got to be careful. Or else <laughs> it's it. their
1: heritage, their culture.
0: The network will, like, lose half the South. Uh, you know, if we try and make a political statement. And Norman Jewison says, he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. However, and then he suggested that Harry Belafonte sing this song. I can't remember the name of the song, but it kind of channeled the antebellum sound. It was a sort of slavery kind of song sung from a black point of view, but I think still a a very popular, well-known song. And at the end, uh, some chains would fall down and Belafonte would... Symbolically stamped And they did that And apparently as soon as they did that They lost something like (laughs) 26 networks in the south Norman Jewison said he fought Good riddance Yeah he fought basically (laughs) Fuck them You can understand why maybe Harry Belafonte was more cautious But he went and did it And made a fantastic statement Yeah I think that was like the first Pretty impactful thing that Jewison did I've not really seen any of his early films They include The Cincinnati Kid, starring Paul Newman. There's a really, like, Gapesian one called The Russians Are Coming! The Russians Are Coming! (laughs) Which, you know, came out in 1966. And then, in 1967, he directed In the Heat of the Night, which is a really great film, I think. This was part of our syllabus on our film studies course at university. Sidney Poitier plays a, a black cop who, like, he's in a southern town he's a cop up in like uh, philadelphia but he's in a southern town to visit his mum and he's just waiting for his train and coincidentally some white guy has been murdered and a cop finds a white cop obviously finds him yeah. at the station just arrests him straight off like this must be the guy who did it right then <laughs> <laughs> then he takes pigmentation him. exactly yeah and he takes him to see the uh, like chief of Police of that, well, the sheriff, I guess, who's played by Rod Steiger, and 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 uh, then eventually, like, they <laughs> he convinces them, thanks to a call to his white boss in Philadelphia, that he is actually a cop, and he is in fact the top homicide detective in Philadelphia, and eventually they <laughs> they persuade him to stay and help them with the investigation because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> Terrific film. You I watch think. Fiddler, I'll watch In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> <laughs> Here's two masterpieces. Probably his most famous films, and and both of us have only oh, seen yeah. one of them. No. <laughs> and I watched it then, and I think I read some kind of radical critiques of it. A view that I saw, that I felt kind of sympathetic to, was that it. Kind of tried to make Sidney Poitier a kind of black person who was amenable to what a white person's idea of a respectable black person was. In this case, uh, by portraying him as like a super cop, Uh, he's like (laughs) the, the smartest, most skilled homicide detective in the world. I think ultimately that if black radicals want to make that critique then that's their prerogative but I think that is an unfair critique of a great figure like Sidney Poitier to have for someone like me a white person basically to really hold I ultimately think now that I didn't fully understand that radical critique of the film that it wasn't really my place to adopt that critique of it and the, the good that the film did in terms of just the pure cause of representation outweighs its more politically conformist elements does that make sure. sense uh,
1: you, you, you gotta contextualize it in the history of the 60s
0: the verge here chief he thinks that harvey's innocent i'll
4: be damn quite i Talk to you about it in private, huh? No, you can't talk to me about it in private. because I got Koberts' wallet right here in my hand. We took it from Harvey Oberst. You don't think he gave it to him, do you? I don't know, but Oberst could have come along after the crime. Found it, picked it up. I don't know.
2: That's what the boy said he did.
4: Well, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I say different. Well, when I examined the deceased, it was obvious that the fatal blow was struck from an angle of 17 degrees from the right, which makes it almost certain the person who did it is right-handed. So what? Oh, Harve's left-handed, Chief. Everybody in town knows that. Yeah, uh, that, that's what we figured out, Chief. Uh, Harvey's a lefty, uh-huh.
2: Well, you're pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil?
4: Uh, Virgil, that's a funny name for a big boy that comes from Philadelphia. What did they call you up there?
1: They call me Mr. Tibbs.
0: I think it's incredibly radical just providing someone like Sidney Poitier, well, just a black person, with a role like Virgil Tibbs in 1967, for all the reasons mm. almost that I've stated that he is such a heroic figure, essentially. Because most black actors in those days would have been cast as the servant or the, plan- yeah, the plantation worker. Or some kind of hoodlum, some kind of villainous character. But the fact that here is a black character with real intelligence, with real professional acumen, I think that is actually such an important thing. I mean, I've never seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which I think probably is much more deserving of that kind of radical critique than In the Heat of the Night.
1: That's a movie that's very self-congratulatory to white people. And
0: In the Heat of the Night is not... One thing that's kind of cool about In the Heat of the Night is that all the white characters in it are racist. Like, <laughs> literally all of them. Truth and fiction. <laughs> you don't have, like, the, the fucking, the town's token liberal. Because, like, he'd probably get strung <laughs> up, you know? <laughs> if you were going around the town where In the Heat of the Night is set, being like, we need equality for our black brothers then they would probably kill you and At they best are best they're running you out of town for sure yeah, yeah they're not very despite rod steiger's character the great rod steiger who will get to many times in this episode because he was a serial jewison collaborator despite his character being a sheriff an older man who's been around a long time a white man someone who seems quite respected in the town once he starts working with Sidney Poitier, he loses a lot of that respect with certain people. (laughs) Right. Overnight. Ostracism. And Rod Steiger of course, over time in the film, his character and Poitier's character almost do develop a kind of grudging respect for one another and they relate to one another on a human and on a professional level. But he's still racist, I mean even if just casually racist and it's not just casual actually, because there is a scene where they really bond. Virgil Tibbs and uh, Chief Bill Gillespie They really bond over some drinks. They go back to, well, the chief's shitty. Like, he's divorced as fuck, like all cops, you know? He's, like, just just terminally divorced, like lives in this bare house where he's like, I never have anyone over. My life is shit, blah, 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 blah. And Virgil Tibbs offers him some kind of sympathy, and he says something really racist. He's like, don't you pity me, black, or something. It's really horrible, and it shows that, yeah, they can... on a human level but at the same time no one's just magically free from being molded by this racist society yeah yeah if you're part of
1: society then you pick up its culture you become its core you you are part of the problem Unless you're part of the solution.
0: There's one scene on the theme of all the white characters in it are racist. So they go (laughs) to, like, this plantation. uh, And you should probably guess, like, like, okay, the guy who... It's literally, it's, like, going back to the early 1800s. Like, there's all these black people toiling in the fields and this beautiful white house. Oh, it's fine. Uh, We paid them a pittance. You could probably guess that the guy who runs it is, like, not too sound but then they go and talk to the guy who's in his greenhouse like it's like your uh, fucking grow your plantation (laughs) (laughs) he's he's got but but i'm the only unpaid employee there yeah Uh, yeah he's basically he's got a greenhouse right so he's just in his greenhouse working on his little flowers and sydney poitier comes in and he correctly identifies one of the flowers and the man seems like really He's like, oh, you love the flowers. And he seems to be getting on kind of quite well with Sidney Poitier. Then he kind of says, you know, it's remarkable. That you would identify this flower, because really they, you know, they are just like the Negro, in that they need to be cultivated. They need to be looked after. Just comes out with this like paternalistic, like yeah. eugenicist, fucking like. Uh, it's like uh, DiCaprio in um, Django when mm. he like goes on about the skulls and he like smashes the glass over his hand and stuff. It's just like that, and and you're like, okay, so oh, this nice friendly man is bonding with Virgil Tibbs over flat. oh no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything
1: is horrible with these it's, fuckers he,
0: he is the worst racist of the lot. Oh,
2: I didn't know it was possible To grow this species locally Oh, you like flowers? I do Oh, well, Mr. Tibbs, uh, do you know anything about orchids? Uh, not very much, but I do like them Well, let me show you <laughs> endicotts Paws What do you think? It's beautiful It's breathtaking have you a favorite, Mr. Tibbs? Well, I am partial to any of the epiphytics. Why, isn't that remarkable? That of all the orchids in this place, you should prefer the epiphytics. I wonder if you know why. Maybe it would be helpful if you'd tell me. Because, like the nigra, they need care and feeding and cultivating. And that takes time. That's something you can't make some people understand. That's something Mr. Cobert didn't realize. Why'd you two come here? To ask you about Mr. Colbert. Let me understand this. You two came here to question me?
4: Well, you're your attitudes mr Endicott, your points of view are a matter of record some people well let us say the people who work for mr colbert might reasonably regard you as the person least likely to mourn his passing
1: we were just trying to clarify some of the
2: evidence was mr colbert ever in this greenhouse say last night about midnight <laughs> Lesby? Yeah. You saw it. Well, I saw it. Well, what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I'll remember that. There was a time when I could have had
0: you shot. Virgil Tibbs he's impertinent insubordinate in some way and the guy fucking slaps him and he slaps him back then the pressure really piles on that he's got to leave town because even though it was totally justified because the guy slapped him first you can't slap a police officer for fuck's sake like (laughs) this is America that's how you get shot but I guess not if you're a wealthy plantation owner and you slap a black officer in the slightly post antebellum south well it's not slightly it's a hundred years on it's 1967 it's still (laughs) slightly to then the racists like come after him they try and lynch him and shit but then because he's a proper cop and this is one of the things if it was a white cop in a film like this where they're investigating a case and they're determined to get to the bottom of it some gang of like fucking thugs aren't gonna drive them out of town yeah and so again this is an important part of the characterization of Tibbs as a proper professional that he stays the course and he investigates it to the very end like any good heroic movie cop would do There is actually one point where the why are you helping the police argument is voiced by a black woman. I think maybe one of the plantation workers. The film quite convincingly makes the point that if Mm. the police is going to exist, then we need people. We need Virgil Tibbs in there somewhere. All (laughs)
1: cops are bastards, but an all white police force. That's going to be literally fascism.
0: I mean, just uh, South Africa. South Africa. Exactly. That's why it's... Yeah, I get you. It's a white victim in this film. That white victim's white family would not have fucking justice if the white cops had been left to investigate this case on their own. They would have just blamed the nearest black person they could (laughs) find and that would have been that. This is why I think Jewison at his best is a really great filmmaker in terms of just conveying basic liberal values yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> strong liberal principles you know stuff but you it, it, you are absolutely would, a liberal you and i would not find necessarily objectionable he doesn't go far enough and he doesn't articulate and there's missing pieces like we'll get to in other people's mm. money there's a big part of the analysis that's missing that yeah. le- leaves it ultimately kind of hollow but in terms of just these like broad stroke agreeable messages in the films. S- he's a lot better than, I mean, I mentioned Guess Who's Coming to Dinner by Stanley mm. Kramer, mm. another collaborator of Sidney Poitier. And I think Jewison is much more artful with his quote-unquote message movies than Kramer.
1: Yeah, I'd give him that. <laughs> by the same token, how he misses parts of the analysis and he's a liberal... There isn't anything that's too in-your-face objectionable in most of his films. It's all fairly tame, with some exceptions here and there, I guess. But he is a liberal, right there in the middle. Not too far on the left, not too far on the right. Just,
0: let's all get along, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Aside from the politics of the film, I'll just say the film is shot... Magnificently by Haskell Wexler, one of the great cinematographers of mm. that day. It's edited by Hal Ashby, who would go on to be a fantastic director in his own right. And Jewison would be a producer on Ashby's, if not his first film, then one of his first films, The Landlord, which is a quite funny satire from uh, 1970, which features lines like, oh, he's very sensitive about the new left and all that. (laughs) There's a great line about the left in Jewison's final film that we'll get to in a bit. um, There are some
1: pretty great lines throughout his canon. If you want to cherry pick good political fodder. <laughs> Definitely. Probably in Fist as well. But- Even in Other People's Money, there's a few bits where you're oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: absolutely. <laughs> I mean, in In the Heat of the Night, that's another thing about it. The script is terrific. Written by Sterling silifan What a name. Based on the novel by John Ball Jewison has talked about like when he showed The early screenings and people were laughing At parts of the film like Rod Steiger As the detective like Is nobody going to get this fucking fan Fixed in his office or whatever (laughs) People were laughing he was like oh no They think my film's terrible but no it's just Because it's a naturalistic and funny Film with rich characters Flawed characters But some sympathetic characters Warren Oates is in it As well as the cop who initially arrests Virgil Tibbs Warren Oates looking very young in that really really good and of course the score is by Quincy Jones the title song sung by Ray Charles is just a great blast of beautiful soul and the whole film like the Haskell Wexler cinematography just is such a the colours are so rich, you know, it's just this beautiful sun-baked film, and it's so well put together by Jewison, just this noirish kind of mystery unfolds, and you're never distracted from the plot and the suspense by the message. They're inextricably linked, and the message is conveyed through the characters and events. So, wonderful, wonderful film, I think, five stars, and the best film that Jewison would ever make. But we got plenty more to talk about. Yeah, that's pretty much the beginning for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was all basically me, but don't you worry, guys, because now there's quite a few films that Yair and I have both seen. (laughs) The Thomas Crown Affair, I think I watched sometime, but I literally remember nothing about it, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But I'm sure Steve McQueen (laughs) is incredibly cool in it. Let's get, let's let you do your solo joint now. I just did mine. (laughs) Let's move to 1971, when Jewison would turn his attentions to yet another persecuted ethnic group, this time one and that forever he... forever cements
1: the fact that his name <laughs> it really sounds Jewish. Yeah, yeah, I
0: was going to say, this time one that he was often accused of being part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: A fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, huh?
0: So let's get to uh, 1971's Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition... <laughs> Oh man,
1: so many, so many, uh, the songs, the music, it just, it speaks to my
0: heart and soul. <laughs> how come you ended up re-watching this recently? Were you just like to M like, right, I'm going to show you how this whole Jewish thing works.
1: Well, actually, funny thing is, this is the first time I'd ever seen the movie. Oh, really? My parents owned it on video, and because it's so long, it was on two video cassettes. And I saw them watching it a couple times. But yeah, I I never sat down and watched more than a few minutes at a time, because I was a little kid, and it was just too slow for me. (laughs) It's about a milkman.
0: Milk!
2: Yeah,
1: I'm like, what's going on? Uh, Farmers and singing about traditions and... There's like marriages going on
0: um, there's Marxist I, characters in it yeah there is <laughs>
1: but yeah the music is still an important part of my childhood I heard a lot of the music, and there's definitely a lot of songs that you'll, like, recognize at least the the chorus or something, you know? Okay. But the basic plot of the movie is, yeah, there's this farmer, this Jewish farmer, and he lives in a mixed community. There's a large Jewish community, but there's also a lot of Gentiles there. That kind of comes up repeatedly, like, the interactions between the Gentiles and the Jews aka not very good ones for the Jews. Mm. The farmer is friends, insofar as you could be, with the local police chief. They're on good terms, they're friendly, and so they get a warning when there's about to be a pogrom. And like so <laughs> okay. uh, a lot of but, but the police chief is like I still gotta do it yo you know? oh, what, so he's literally um,
0: doing the pogrom himself
1: <laughs> yeah like, like sorry it,
0: guys it, it, I gotta come round and all your shit up
1: for a pogrom it it, just, it it seems pretty it's it's not too vicious like they burn some buildings down but they don't actually kill rape anybody so that's a good one (laughs) when they (laughs) just destroy all your possessions that's a good day but yeah so that comes up and then spoiler alert at the very end spoiler alert for like a 50 year old movie based on an older play um at the very end the police chief comes and says hey i got orders that say you all have to leave in two days you don't want to be here trust me so yeah it ends on that sour note
0: but other
1: than that... <laughs> it's about a milkman, so that's not what you want. <laughs> Sour note. <laughs> Milk. Other than that, the plot is actually basically your standard classical comedy structure where, you know, it ends in a wedding. Well, in this case, it actually has this three weddings. Uh, so it is played with a bit, but it's got that trope still of weddings. Comedies have to be about weddings. And it is a comedy. <laughs> it's quite a funny movie, despite... The horrible things that do happen. So this farmer has three daughters. That's why there's three weddings. I think he's actually got five daughters, but I can't remember. He's got three daughters that are of marrying age. Uh, The first one is he goes and he gets a great offer from the town's butcher who's going to like take care of her for life and she's going to be sorted. But of course, he's old and ugly and fat and she doesn't want to marry him. She wants to marry this boy that she grew up with, who's the tailor's son and is poor and hopeless. So there's this recurring theme that the dad is always like, why are you doing this to me? Why? Oh my God. Tradition. 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 This is terrible. And then he has like an aside where he's like speaking to God and asking like, why? What should I do? And then he just kind of decides ultimately, yeah, okay. You guys can get married if you're in love. You've promised yourselves to each other. I can't break that. And they go and get married like they want to. And then his second daughter, she's the one who falls in love with the communist and ah. <laughs> and he's like oh my god he's a revolutionary he's a troublemaker oh oh, oh tradition no ah tradition <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what are we going to do and then he allows her to go off to siberia cuz he's been arrested so she wants to go follow him to siberia and marry this communist there uh, and so the father is like oh, lost to like uh, uh, tradition uh, and then finally, his third daughter wants to marry out of the faith, a ah, local Russian boy. Not um, Russians.
0: They must must they infiltrate <laughs> everything? And he does the whole aside thing, like,
1: "Why God? Why me? What have I done?"
2: <laughs> I love I like, love your. No, body. you're dead to I me. I love your Jewish voice. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah. You know, th- this time he says, "No, you're dead to me." goodbye. I have only two other daughters. You do not exist anymore. And then they kind of make up at the end when everybody's getting kicked out of the town. Oh <laughs> so that's yeah, that's good. Yeah. But it's not really a full, like, making up situation. I don't know. And everybody's talking about where they're going to end up in America or elsewhere in Europe and stuff like that. I've just told you the entire plot of the movie. There you go.
0: Nice! <laughs> <laughs> you like it, then? You yeah! It's, it like it's, it's shot Itself
1: in your head. For a movie made in 1971, it was really shot in a very modern style. It feels like it could be a musical from much more recent years in terms of the way the asides are done, and there's like this element of surrealism. Like he'll be talking to his daughter and their chosen husband, and then suddenly, when he's talking to God, you see he's actually like he's like a hundred feet away. (laughs) And he's like there in the distance. It's like different perspectives and the way it's all shot is extremely filmic, extremely modern, and I love the score. It's a cultural icon of Judaism. Uh, <laughs> gotta check it out.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll definitely watch it, man. I didn't realize it had act one, act two, and in an intermission. Yes. It's like, what, like
1: nearly four hours or something? Oh, wow. Way.
0: I did not realize that. Right. Hang on, I've got a copy on, on my computer. Let me check. This is uh, 179 minutes. Three, on Bang on three hours, the version I downloaded. I don't know if there nice. are multiple edits of it, but three hours and one minute. That might just be the credits or something, yeah. Maybe they cut the intermission out. I don't I uh-huh, so no, maybe, yeah. It's who not knows? a super
1: long intermission on at least on Netflix here. Or who I don't fucking know. I can, I'll, I'll stream it somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not in
1: the business of advertising, you find it people.
0: Yeah, yeah, do your own work. <laughs> find your own fiddler on the roof. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to ask, like, so is much made of the radical politics in this the Marxism? I guess you said that the main character kind of views the Marxists as a troublemaker.
1: Yeah, and to an extent. That doesn't really change, but he does come to accept the communist as a member of the family. If I was writing the movie, it would have been a lot more about the communism. But I guess ultimately it was a romantic plot and only one of the weddings was to a communist. Yeah, yeah. He does mention, there is like a song and a discussion before that leads into the song. And he mentions his beliefs in at least a small amount of detail on the equality. Like, he repeatedly mentions how women deserve to learn and stuff like that. And, oh, God. and, and, and the dad and the other people in the town think that's all ridiculous, you know. <laughs> yeah. Learning? What? What? <laughs> He brings up his radical politics at least a few times, but he's just not a huge character, really. He's big for, like, a 45-minute chunk of the movie, maybe, and the rest of the movie's just not about him. Perchik, the Bolshevik Revolutionary. <laughs> there is a cool... Yeah, I mean, like, they show what happened to revolutionaries. There's a scene where there's a protest in, I want to say, St. Petersburg? I don't know. One of the cities. What <laughs> What's the weather the
0: like in St. Petersburg this time of... Yeah, comrade.
1: I definitely don't live in that city. I'm not recording this podcast from that Russian city because I'm not a Russian troll.
0: Um, Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Fake news. There was a protest and, yeah, they bring in the
1: Cossacks or whoever and they just, like, shoot all the protesters. (laughs) It's It's not unsympathetic towards the communists. But a lot of the characters are unsympathetic, but that's because
0: they would have been. So, I mean, I guess we can move on to his next film then, which was After Fiddler on the Roof. He then Jesus Christ superstar. <laughs> <laughs> I did not realize this was co-written by Melvin Bragg because like Melvin Bragg is just someone who I know from like presenting the South Bank show you know and I don't like watch the South Bank show it'd just be like if the episode of it is an interview of like a filmmaker I like, or about a, mus- a documentary about a musician yeah. I like. That's the only context I know Melvin Bragg in. Yeah, he hasn't really done that much writing of films and stuff, but apparently <laughs> he uh, he co-wrote this. But it's obviously it's based on the play Jesus Christ Superstar by Tim Rice and the horrible fucking rat-faced conservative <laughs> peer Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> <laughs> There was this thing a few years ago, like, the Conservatives, when George Osborne was their Chancellor, they viciously slashed benefits or something, and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, who lives in America, flew over specifically to vote in the House of Lords in in favour of their anti-poor legislation. Yeah, because it's really affecting
1: him, isn't it?
0: Yeah, 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 he just got up off his fucking couch in Los Angeles and fucking shifted his arse, got in a private jet, came over. It's just a, just a complete, utterly...
1: I'm pretty t- sure that if you don't live in the UK, you don't have to pay taxes to
0: the yeah. uk yeah that's true but you can still vote in the house of lords if, to- if i mean i can still
1: vote but like yeah it's still not in up, the house but, of lords yeah, You can't. Not, <laughs> my point was mostly no i can't vote in the house of lords
0: <laughs> I lord yeah, yeah. it's my point
1: mostly being like he was not funding people's benefits at all obviously
0: no 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 he's a tosser yeah exactly <laughs> Fucking. I don't really like his stuff. I don't like most of his. I mean, I don't know if I've seen any of his fucking musicals, like start to, <laughs> start to finish. But I like just just as a figure. I I as a, as a individual, I hate him. I'm not a fan of his work. But you know what? <laughs> Quite enjoy Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was pretty fun. The music is pretty rocking. You said uh, when we were talking about it that the music is, it was way more, I guess, just way more rocking than you'd expected.
1: Yeah, that's basically what I was trying to get, yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess because of the 1970s, it was like the era of hair, you know, the kind of
1: i I actually said to em as we were watching it together repeatedly this reminds
0: me of hair so much yeah exactly because that was like i don't think lloyd webber did hair no he didn't but that he would have been trying to cash in on that kind of thing (laughs) Um, i guess especially he was cashing in on his previous musical joseph and the amazing technicolor dream code Um, right based on a biblical parable also written with tim rice one of his films in year six at school i went to a christian school because we just moved uh, (laughs) so hence i changed school and they definitely showed us some like jesus musical a film of it but i can't remember if it was joseph or jesus christ superstar (laughs) probably joseph because it sounds like a load of tedious wank and uh, and uh, <laughs> and also because like Jesus Christ Superstar contains stuff like look like some of the scene where they're whipping Jesus Her- Herod is clearly wanking off isn't he I mean they don't like show his yeah. penis but like they show him he's like shifting as somebody masturbating would and he's like pulling all these like contorted expressions with his face he's clearly wanking isn't
1: he he has to be if he's not then that was I want to know what they were
0: directing that actor to do. (laughs) It's kind of homophobic as well, because he's like coded as gay. And then it's like, it's just like all those gays, they love S&M. And like, fair enough, if you're gay and you love S&M, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it is just kind of a bit like, oh, look at this fanboy and gay character. Someone's getting whipped. Obviously he loves it. But it did make me raw with laughter because i was like what really that's that's in this pg rated movie Maybe <laughs> Jewison, like, originally oh, had well, a... Well, you
1: know what, though? In 1971, I'm pretty sure the
0: PG-13 rating didn't exist. PG is the UK rating that it has to this day, judging by Amazon oh. Prime. But I was thinking, okay. yeah, maybe... fair enough. Ma- hmm. Maybe there's a director's cut, which is just, like, two seconds longer, and it just features a full dick shot. <laughs> <laughs> and Jewison had to cut that to get the PG rating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, jokes. You, you you
1: missed the crossover where it sort of links in with cruising.
0: Jokes, Phil. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And in addition to that Like I just want to find this on Wikipedia Because I found this pretty funny about its reception It was criticised not only by some Jews as anti-Semitic But also by some Catholics and Protestants As blasphemous <laughs> in its portrayal of Jesus As a young man who might even be interested in sex the, Na- the National Jewish Community Relations Advisory Council Described it as an insidious work That was worse than the stage play in the old falsehood of the Jews' collective responsibility for the death of Jesus, and said it would revive religious sources of anti-Semitism. Now, I don't know if the film revived anti-Semitism in a big way, When did but... it ever not... Be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, that's a fair point. But I don't know if it inflamed anti-Semitism, but I can definitely see where they were coming from, in that it features no, a wait. load of, like, <laughs> heavily bearded, massive hats-wearing they Cox. all have different rots. <laughs> Dewey Cox style they're Jews they're who are like the Pharisees, i not say. And they're all yes. just like, ha ha ha, <laughs> I'm the evil villain. I'm
2: going to the song Jesus. We Need
0: to Kill Jesus. What's the thing i say for him? They're, oh, what's this fuck? There's a fucking graveyard couple of comparisons, where one of them is like, He's just another scripture-pushing hack from Galilee, and the other one's like, But they call him the king, and that's what scares me! and they're such canto villain performances which is probably better than if they'd have given them like more overtly jewish voices like they're all just like we need to kill this jesus character you know <laughs> it's all like new york
1: never voices so yeah but no it's so bait wasn't it it was yeah i i i didn't know what to make of it in that respect certainly all the jewish characters i guess other than jesus's disciples who were of course jewish including jesus <laughs> himself all the other jewish characters i guess one jesus did at the end. <laughs> also like we're looking at a little snapshot of a community near Jerusalem in Palestine 2000 years ago where Christians didn't exist there was Mm. no holocaust no pogroms there was definitely a history of being mean being bad to the Jews don't get me wrong but that was the Romans that was not the (laughs) Christians my point just being that in order to tell a biblical story about Jesus and not at least have some large number of Jews as kind of the bad guys to some extent you're gonna have to do that's not the same story you're not telling the new testament anymore really because that's what happened in the new testament but
0: Uh, there are barely any romans in the film (laughs)
1: That is true as well, again,
0: that's just also similar to the New Testament,
1: in which Pontius Pilates is pretty much the face of Roman presence, and that's it. The problem is the source material. I'm not saying it's not anti-Semitic. I'm saying that the New Testament is anti-Semitic, and even the best stuff, like The Last Temptation of Christ is just minimizing the
0: anti-Semitism in the source material, because it's always there. What was the point that you made to me about the Pharisees and their historical context? Oh, uh, Other than that they're comically villainous and have amazing hats, (laughs) hat emoji. Well, the
1: Pharisees especially, versus the Jewish mob quote-unquote uh, the mm. pharisees they're the clergy they're the mm. elite priestly caste of the jewish faith in this time because the jews at this time had a temple and it was an entirely different religion they practiced sacrifices like of of animals like a lot of people did i'm not saying it's i'm saying it was completely <laughs> different from how blood modern... libel
0: i i thought better of you <laughs>
1: You know, there's rabbinic Judaism. That's what we have today, where the rabbi has basically taken the place, the role to some extent of the temple. Forgive me, it's been over 10 years since I've been in Hebrew school, but that's rabbinic Judaism that we have today because the Romans, not the Christians per se, the Romans destroyed the temple so we couldn't go there anymore. The Pharisees are the priests of this temple. They're the ones that give the offerings of various sorts. They're the ones that take the tithes. They're just the Catholic Church today, pretty much. Mm. And I don't have a lot of sympathy for them because they kind of sucked, honestly. They all did. All those priestly (laughs) casts kind of sucked of every religion. And the Jewish mob definitely could have been portrayed better just in general. But the Pharisees, they were leaders of Judaism and Jesus was a heretic trying to convert people to his cult. So what are the leaders of a religion going to do when a heretic... You know, they're not going to like him, are they? They're going to want to get rid of him. And so that aspect, it's kind of historically, that's how leadership in churches behave to heretics throughout history. Who was Judas? He was awesome. i, I He had so much presence, so much more, I felt more emotion, more... Uh, then then Jesus Jesus felt very flat yeah
0: yeah yeah Judas was rocking I was like Judas had a point you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) Carl Anderson plays Judas let's see what Carl um, Carl is familiar with him Ah, he played Judas in the Broadway production, so not necessarily a film actor. That will explain why he was emoting and like so live. He was in a film called The Black Pearl in 1977, but then the only film after that he was in was The Color Purple by Spielberg. Which I've never seen, yeah. But I should say Spielberg is one of the directors alongside Norman Jewison who was one of the white directors who in that documentary about black films I watched a lot of the black actors and filmmakers in that like praise Spielberg for actually like Trying, mm-hmm. even in his like uh, sometimes kind of shonky liberal way. Same with Jewison, really, but both of them yeah. have given black people a better shot in their movies than other white filmmakers, including in films that aren't necessarily about racial inequality or whatever. You'll just have a prominent black character.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something I've noticed about those films.
0: What was the name of that documentary again? It's like a play on, the, on Spike Lee's first film, uh, She's Got a Habit. I think it's called They Got Have Habit. Okay, right. You said that you maybe thought that the black Judas white Jesus thing <laughs> was a bit problematic clearly that was something
1: that came on from
0: the stage play since they had the same actor, right
1: but yes that is definitely a point that I brought up just in general I assumed it was going to be white Jesus it was a movie made in the 70s even today I'm going to generally assume that westerners are going to make white Jesus but like, it's just that juxtaposition to go the extra step of having black Jesus that was yeah. like, uh, I made that point like halfway through the movie because it really does feel pretty problematic for a long time. But then at mm. the end, I feel like it made the point that I always think about Judas when I read the New Testament stories, which is he was the good guy. He did well. They don't go quite that far in the movie, but they say that he did what he had to do. And yeah. literally, there would be no Christianity, there would be no Jesus as we know him if Judas did not sell him out and we see how troubled he was by all this and how it was like destiny and everything. And then at the end, aren't they they all in heaven or something? And Judas is there? So I guess he wasn't the bad guy. So it works itself out a little. But the first few scenes where Judas is
0: disagreeing with Jesus and Jesus is just shouting at him, it felt super,
1: super problematic.
0: Well, I mean, I've got to say the Judas-Jesus relationship is much the same when it's Willem Dafoe and Harvey Keitel, two white actors. Mm. In The Last Temptation of Christ, Judas is always yelling at and threatening to murder jesus in the early section of that film i think it's accurate to the bible and i maybe i didn't find it maybe quite so problematic as you because as you've kind of elaborated there judas is neither a character who's wholly good nor wholly bad he's repentant when he does sell Jesus out and he's very conflicted about it before he does it. And of course there is just the fact that according to the Christian theology we needed Jesus to die to save our sins so maybe Judas was part of a grander plan. Like in the heat of the night, the representational good that it does casting a black actor in that role and especially one who like wasn't an established star they could have maybe got some white actor who'd like been in a few film musicals and cast them to try and make like a couple more dollars but they didn't they stuck with the black actor from the theatre who had done the role really well and continues to do so in the movie really rockin' performance great powerful vocals great anguished performance as it gets on and the character grows deeper into oh, yeah. his personal turmoil it is maybe a very uncomfortable thing to see an actor of that race hanging from a tree at the end of his trajectory <clears throat> but as you say he then turns up in heaven again and dare i say it well it's kind of colorblind casting Of course, every Mm -hmm. biblical film is pretty much colorblind casting when they cast a a white guy as Jesus. But in this case, it's in a way that I think gives a black actor a chance to play something other than for roles at the time that they would have to play, which would be a fellow or a criminal.
1: Yeah, and once I've seen the film through, I will say I had pretty much come to agree with that point of view. Carl Anderson was amazing in the movie. Uh, Very electric performance. It was good casting, in a dramatic sense, and it's maybe just aged a little bit, just in that sense. I mm. don't know. It's not so much the casting of a black Judas, not Carl Anderson as Judas, but the fucking white Jesus, which I guess, yeah, in 1973 or whatever, you weren't going to get much different. I don't think, Yeah,
0: but. he's a very classically Jesus y Jesus. He's a nativity. Yeah jesus i he's think he's a little bit like torn up isn't he but he's not as tortured as last temptations jesus that's for sure but then that is a very unorthodox bible film isn't it yeah, and then that's I just... quintessential jesus <laughs> oh it's a great film and i just wanted to say finally on this movie josh mostel as herod we mentioned his wanking bit but like his whole performance is just nuts this guy's oh, yeah. it's a fun performance if you get over the homophobic. <laughs> oh it's so homophobic like he turns up and he does this that's jaunty like musical piano number, like you it's say it's you're the king, king of Christ. He oh he basically king has that voice Jews. that I was saying. Oh, it's Ooh. a good job they didn't cast the Jewish <laughs> characters <laughs> with that. But he's like, You it say you're the king Jews. of the Jews. Well Fetcher. I ain't seen nothing from Fetcher. You, Fetcher. you, son. Because it's like as they explain Fetcher. on Wikipedia, like Herod loves spectacles. <laughs> the flamboyant the flamboyant Herod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's flamboyant
1: is a code word, yeah.
0: The flamboyant. Herod he loves spec. I can't find the bit but he loves Spectacle and so he does this whole like musical number, which is just like a classic like British finger clicking fucking pub piano like uh, musical kind of like Bob's your uncle up your, t- up your, t- up your it's like it's like this American this, this, this yeah like New York American dude singing it in this incredibly like campy way trying to like encourage Jesus to like do a miracle in front of him wonderful well, uh, in, a, in some ways wonderful but problematic theatrically <laughs> impressive uh. yeah <laughs> so let's move on to I guess our next film Rollerball Goodness, yeah but, so we've, we've been able to cover three of his films in a row Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: which is good because we're about to go over a decade without hitting any after this <laughs>
0: oh fuck yeah 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 oh, I think I've seen Moonstruck I can't really remember I can't remember shit about it, but I can probably rattle off a couple of sentences. Nicolas Cage is in it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh, So, uh,
1: I mean, I already talked a bit about Rollerball in a previous episode, so I'm mostly interested to hear
0: your thoughts. Fuck, the stuff that you said to me about it was way more intelligent than my thoughts on it so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass over to you in a <laughs> sec. But I thought it was a compelling film. It's set in this future scenario where I guess, like, there's... There were all the... I guess all the countries were destroying each other in wars and then the corporations took over and then the corporations had all the corporate wars and then now the corporations maintain some kind of equilibrium in the world they control by like basically just killing off people in What's these po- yeah this kind of gladiatorial sport called rollerball which I like did not understand the rules of so I've got to say like Quidditch made way more sense than these <laughs> fictional things you know, like what the fuck? Another, another very dangerous sport, but apparently that's right. <laughs> quirk, quirky and charming when it's in the arch Blairite turf, J.K. Rowling shit. But let's just send
1: a bunch of kids to fly hundreds of feet over the air and like beat each other up with balls
0: yeah 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 the balls and like literally one of the balls is just like it smashes them in the face <laughs> like <laughs> That's its job yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but rollerball is pretty similar except that like everyone fucking gets killed in it and so james <laughs> khan is like he's the master he's the champion he must have killed so many people because he's done right. He's like the 10 year champion of rollerball. And you just imagine, like, how many of his mates he's just burned through. Like, because he's so tight with his team. But it's like he must have known these guys, most of them, for like a year or two. Because they will just keep getting (laughs) killed and replaced, surely. Yeah. So I guess the corporation decides that they no longer need him. I don't even get it. Is it just that because he's old, he's got to retire? The logic is
1: that well it kind of ties into my whole spiel i might do in a minute but the logic is that they don't want someone who is like famous and inspiring because he might be able to lead a revolution if he wanted to oh yeah the basic point
0: also i guess if somebody survives rollerball so much it it might make people think oh we are not as powerless yeah yeah they want him out of the way so there's no kind of figurehead but yeah do your spiel because it was interesting Yeah, well,
1: I just I I find this movie, if nothing else, and there are other things, but if nothing else, I find this super interesting as a historical piece because it shows how certainly liberal America, but a lot of people in general, were just thinking about individualism just after the hippie era, right in the early 70s, because, of course, the hippies were generally perceived as being left wing and not without reason. And they were also perceived as being highly individualistic, and not without reason. Corporations, on the other hand, being interested in commercializing, in globalizing, in making everything homogenous around the earth, they don't want individualism. And I think even a leftist today mm. would agree with most of these statements. Yeah, it's not yeah, yeah. Crazy. But the mainstream narrative has really shifted since the early 70s, where, back then, those associations were fairly clear. On the one hand, you had corporations who wanted to make everything the same. On the other hand, you had leftists who wanted to make everyone individuals. And nowadays, it's a lot more complicated, that narrative, because the corporations have put out a lot of propaganda saying, no, no, we really care about individualism. You yeah. can
0: express yourself through capitalism. <laughs> That's. I mean, I don't think that there's an inherent contradiction to like the ideal of the 60s, which is both individualistic and of the left. Because, you know, I, hmm. I see myself as quite individualistic. I just believe that socialism... Gives people the freedoms necessary to truly be individuals. I just don't believe that true individualism yeah. lies in individual success or failure in the free market. If you don't have I- to spend
1: 40 plus hours each week working for a boss, then think about all the artistic, creative, individualistic things you could do. I want to do anything other than work for a boss
0: yeah man it's like keith Richards sang in um happy by the stones never want to be like proper working for the boss every night and day hell exactly. yeah the rock and roll ethos you know yeah i have to play rock and roll be rock and rough. I'll have to pick up the guitar. I wonder. It's never too late to learn, right? But obviously the corporations have a completely different conception of individualism, which is much more of the market. And as you say, mm. capitalism was able to kind of commodify an element, the individualistic element of that hippie radicalism.
1: Yeah. Hence why everybody's getting sold that hippie counterculture back to them. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I... Like you said, Jack, you're a socialist. You're a musician. I consider musicians pretty individualistic. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, we hope so. Doesn't seem incompatible. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: well, the And Yeah, so I was love. just
1: to tie that in with the movie. The point just being that this movie today reads kind of weird because it's definitely coming from some sort of left-wing angle. Obviously mm. more liberal than socialist, but left-wing-ish. And yet the hero's got this cult of celebrity around him. He's highly individualistic. He's highly successful, highly rich from that mm. personal success. He's doing well in the current system in his universe. So it reads very weirdly. But understanding it through that message of the corporations hate individualism, I think it can be an extremely important message to remember, especially today, because they want us to forget that
0: so yeah. much. Yeah, exactly. They just worked out how to target what people see as their individual traits but are in fact shared by a lot of people. They've worked out how to find what a lot of people view as what defines them as an individual and say, oh, we can give you some of that. I think there is also something foreboding even to this day about
1: the thought of there is a lot of global conflict in the world and corporations are becoming more and more powerful and I think it's a slightly more realistic scenario than a lot of people would think that the corporations are just going to take over or something. Obviously, yeah. they're perfectly happy to use the state as it is now, but I don't know. In the sci-fi future, I can yeah. imagine it, and it's scary.
0: <laughs> Good film, I thought. I wish I had more to say on it.
1: but um, yeah, I mean, well, uh, Honestly, I, I mean, other than that little spiel, there isn't all that much. It's, it's kind of just a fun little sci-fi film. It's really not
0: that deep. I thought it was I, and this is exclusive to a lot of 70s films including ones I really like I thought it was quite a macho film I mean, I mean oh, it's, yeah. ab- it's about team sports but like the only women in it are you know basically there mm. to like manipulate or betray you uh, <laughs> the gender you know. roles
1: definitely not good
0: no but James Carn <laughs> is you know he's one of my favorite macho actors with right-wing politics in real life so uh, <laughs> you know if you're gonna have you mentioned that before yeah yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys, like, you're looking he's not, I don't think he's as vocal about his shit politics as, like, James <laughs> Woods or um or John Voight or Eddie Marson, but he's definitely, Clint. like, a or, Republican.
1: How does he stand up next to Clint in terms of vocal vocality?
0: Probably not as vocal as Clint. I mean, I don't know, I'd have to look it up. Maybe he spoke at this year's Republican National Convention or some shit, <laughs> I, I don't know. But he, uh, yeah. you know... He's a fairly unobjectionable Twitter presence, I'll say that, for a, re- <laughs> for a Republican. But I mean, I like him a lot as an actor, and obviously he's not uh, espousing yeah. his Republican views. In- he probably wasn't a Republican then, you know, it's probably a thing that's happened with old age. We both watched Fist... Didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I just crack up all the time at the title, fist. Uh, is it Federation of Interstate Truckers? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. What, been... are First. First. what are we, fist? What <laughs> are we, fist? Up your ass! <laughs> and then, uh, we, we... I've not seen Stallone in a lot of movies. I will say so. This was an interesting one. I think I've only seen him in, in like, uh,
0: in uh, Rocky.
3: Right?
0: Yeah, that was him. I still haven't seen Rocky. Uh, oh, but you you watched Rocky 4. We all watched it together for that, yeah. that commentary we did.
1: So you've seen Rocky 4 but not Rocky.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean to be
1: fair, I haven't seen 2 or 3, but I've seen the first Rocky and I have seen oh my god, that fourth one.
0: I've seen a few of his others like I've seen the one I've seen the the Rambo where he's fighting with the Taliban <laughs> against the Russians. I've seen I've seen the first Rambo which is pretty good. Um, yeah. I've seen the Rambo where he's, like, committing atrocities in, like, (laughs) Southeast Asia. Uh, So, yeah, I've seen about three Rambo. I've seen a fair few Stallone films, actually. There's a pretty crappy one, Walter Hill Direct, came out of retirement to direct in 2013 called Bullet to the Head, which kind of just describes the part of the film, just bullets being put in people's heads. (laughs) Fucking, oh, Demolition Man is pretty funny, actually. I watched that recently for the first time. I I enjoyed that. Cop is is probably kind of like the successor to Fist in but it's Stallone in dramatic thoughtful mode and then the other one I watched was this terrible film called Daylight which is about uh, like a load of people get trapped under a bridge <laughs> and, Sy- and Sylvester Stallone saves the day oh and Tango and Cash directed by the great Russian director Andrei Konchulovsky uh, which is bizarre fucking misfire starring Stallone and Kurt Russell that I kind of like quite a lot so you know I've, I, I gotta say I've, I've been there with Stallone I've done my time in terms of what I want to watch next having been inspired by Fist I'd say probably his fascist action drama, Cobra, which everyone says is just explicitly fascist, and then <laughs> Staying Alive, which was a sequel to Saturday Night Fever but Stallone directed for some reason. <laughs> you rem- remember <laughs> you and I, me, we- I remember that existing. Yeah. You remember we watched Saturday Night Fever together? I think. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. That was awesome. That, that it's a great tight. film. Yeah, it's, it's so bleak and depressing. Like some, There's, like, rape in it, and, like, someone commits suicide, and he's dirt yeah. poor, and everyone, like, bullies him for, like, being into dancing and disco. It's, like, it's yeah. really not
1: the movie you would think it was
0: from, like,
1: Hey, it's Saturday Night Fever, the Bee Gees, you know, like
0: ah. Yeah, no, a really good movie, but I, I don't... The sequel by Stallone is not as acclaimed. <laughs> 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 Famously terrible. I've never seen it, though. In terms of Fist... I think that the best points of comparison to this film are Hoffa, which I think was directed by Barry Levinson, maybe? Or did Danny DeVito direct it? And then, of course, The Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Danny DeVito directed Hoffa, actually. We'll get to Danny in a little bit, but that's where Jack Nicholson played Jimmy Hoffa. But in this, he's not actually called Jimmy Hoffa. No it's about it? it's uh,
1: johnny johnny no kovac johnny kovac johnny
0: kovac yeah that's such a jimmy hoffer like name <laughs> isn't it <laughs> you got a blue
1: collar name
0: yeah a good honest working man's name it feels like at the start of this film race is going to be more of an element because you got stallone working in some crappy menial job and the first thing you see is like this asshole boss as a black person, presumably just because he, like, identifies that he can exploit this person really easily but... Hmm. I think it's just a kind of an example of like colorblind casting. They acknowledge the guy's race and that it's like a controversial thing for the boss to hire a black person instead of all these white workers. But then they never really expand on that very much. It becomes more just about how the boss exploits the workers, which is obviously a worthy focus of attention in itself. I think, yeah, what we see at the start is that this boss is comically but realistically evil. What do you guys think you're doing? Get
4: back to work, all of you! Samuel. Can you hear me? Samuel. Samuels! You're fired!
2: Catch him out of your throat.
4: I, I didn't hear you, Mr. Gant. Get out, get out, you're
2: fired. Don't you think you better get this fish inside before it spoils? What's it to you, Mac? The name's Monaghan. Mike Monaghan. It's
4: my own business. It is my business. It's gonna spoil if you don't get it inside. What do we care? Well, I
2: want the wagon unloaded. Why don't you come up here and do it yourself? Well, I'm the driver. Hey! not my job either.
4: What are you guys trying to pull? You know where that stuff goes. Get it inside. We don't need any lazy bastards around here. You hear me, Balkan? And you too, Kovac. You're another- You call this... me a
2: bastard, I'll lay you out. Uh,
4: well, I guess a job don't be nothing to a rich man like you. <laughs> That's out of your pay, Kovac. What the hell do you think you're doing? I want to see boss Andrews. I'll give you Andrews. You're fired, Kovac. You get the hell out of here.
3: He's
0: like, no. No overtime even if you work like 500 hours. He's like you can't go home until the job is done and then you get no overtime and you can't take days off. And he fires someone just for like some petty shit. And then so Sylvester Stallone leads the workers in a strike they go to the boss and negotiate but the boss actually screws them and just fires them. Hey Vince
4: you hear about us at the company huh? Listen Vince, Johnny had their backs to the wall, we almost had a walkout. Yeah! <laughs> Who won Vince? What did you win kid? <laughs> Come on! Where's Johnny. Johnny. Johnny? Hey Johnny. It's hey Johnny. They in, John! Hey, I want to get I want to see Andrews. Well, 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 Mr. Kovac wants to see Mr. That's right, Andrews. Ken. Well, Mr. Kovac, Mr. Andrews is out of town, but he left a little message for you. You're fired, all of you. FIRED!
0: So that's when Stallone gets persuaded to join the truckers' union because they'll give him a car. Which is a very American kind of. Got greasy wheels to join the (laughs) union. We can't pay you. We'll give you a car. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably uh, I'm gonna say this about. How is he putting thing. gas in it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where's his money? What is it? What money is he doing? I guess that's why you gotta get you gotta get the back. Uh, he, he did get a commission, I guess. As we find out, he's good at his job. Yeah, yeah, he's like god level union organizer. So I was saying to you at first, this is pretty awesome. How there's some great tips for like fucking over scabs and stuff, and just I can't remember exactly what they do, but they like do a bunch of stuff. To like derail people who try and work during strikes. There's this great bit where they do a pincer movement on the fucking scabs who come to yeah them. That's, the scabs There's a little are all there. like
1: war drumming kind of thing going on.
0: Yeah, the scabs are all there like with their fucking baseball bats and shit, and then just like this massive crew of union members just comes up behind them. They're surrounded <laughs> on all sides. So good. And then they throw
1: a Molotov on the armored car. I mean, I was literally whooping at that scene just cheering. It was two in the morning. I'm
0: amazed I didn't wake him up. There's a great bit of well, you haven't seen it, but in the first Rambo film, at the end Sylvester Stallone does this great bit where he's like he's crying and he's just completely unintelligible. He's like (laughs) Like some bits where he's crying in this film and you just like can't understand what he's saying yeah all. <laughs> like when his mate from the union tries to drive his truck into all the scabs but they just shoot him and then, <laughs> and then celeste stallone sees that he's died he's like <laughs> <laughs> he's only like it must have been like in his 30s or whatever when he made this he yeah. can't have been he can't have had that much brain damage at this point. It's amazing he got into acting. And writing. Like, if this guy actually sits <laughs> down, he's like, uh, uh, intellectual. <laughs> he's like, Fuck it. it's just amazing. I just love how many scripts Sylvester Stallone has written versus his image, because you just imagine him, like, <laughs> just a massive, like, hulking, basically, now in human kind of figure sat at this desk like just typing away like his fingers just like smashing the keys off his laptop and he's just like with his glasses on that i just i just imagine he always wears glasses when he's writing scripts <laughs> but the scripts are always just like woman gets raped man kills rapists <laughs> it's literally like <laughs> immigrants are rapists <laughs> it's just like <laughs> literally yeah but this film I mean so Joe Esther has claims to have written the entire screenplay Sylvester Stallone claims that him and Jewison although only Sylvester Stallone himself has a screenwriting credit hammered the script into shape from the quote-unquote great concept but in a very backhanded compliment he says joe Esther has had but apparently his original script was nearly 400 pages and was more of a novel than a shootable screenplay
1: did you say 400 pages
0: yeah so like a <laughs> 400 minute film so the irishman
2: it's what it is dotted, what it is
0: yeah <laughs> Two (laughs) Irishmen I don't know I was going to ask you How do you think This compared to The Irishman Uh, 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 Negatively I don't know (laughs) I definitely preferred The Irishman But
1: I did enjoy Fist
0: Yeah I guess I was Just left disappointed I was saying there's Some great anti-scab Stuff But then as it Hmm. goes on He becomes the leader of the union through some underhand shady tactics and then gets the support of the mob and they're helping him do all this shit. And then it gets to the point where him and the rest of the union are shutting down striking workers because they haven't got the go from HQ. They're like, no wildcat strikes. And I was just so disappointed. Which, to be
1: fair, I think is kind of one of the left-wing arguments against unions.
0: It does happen. But you're right, it's it's a
1: totally tired trope where American films do just want to talk about how corrupt
0: unions are that's the thing it gets old (laughs) I guess they do make the point earlier in this film like the good that unions can do in terms of enriching the conditions yeah. that workers live in. Like, the first in.
1: half of the film is solidly pro-union, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the second but, half that it's like,
0: oh. And yeah. it's not wrong that, like, well, that Jimmy Hoffa was corrupt and in with the mob, <laughs> and that unions sometimes do that, but it is just the kind of fact that you put on another American film about trade unions, and it's gonna also going to be about how they're corrupt. Of American films I can think of that aren't about how unions are corrupt, there's Mate One, which is about how trade unionists get brutally murdered by scabs where they you know they might <laughs> might have wanted to try a bit of corruption and ken loach's bread and roses which is the british filmmaker shooting in america so it's kind of different but yeah about, so uh, i haven't seen it but didn't you say boxcar bertha boxcar Bertha's pretty good yeah yeah okay but the union stuff is only kind of like a tangential in that because okay, you got sure you got to bear in mind it's a roger corman film so the the focus is on the action and the adventure the right. stuff for <laughs> shit that would get bums on seats i thought again you had a nuanced argument regarding the trade unions and their role in being a kind of a managerial force between labor and capital yeah. again
1: it kind of comes down to the same argument i had with the pharisees <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, just fuck managers like, <laughs> yeah uh, no, by, by, by definition listening? the union leadership does have to hammer out deals with the bosses and in an ideal world and very often that does mean it's an adversarial role but it still means they have to negotiate they have to give things up And in a way, it's not their thing that they're giving up, you know, like they are workers themselves, but it's all the other workers who haven't necessarily agreed to sacrifice that goal. So you do end up with a semi distinct managerial class in trade unions. And then there's the further problem that there are other kinds of unions in existence. But generally speaking, when we talk about unions, we are talking about labor unions. And by definition, a labor union can only represent the laborers. So you are missing out on people who are differently abled. You're missing out on the unemployed. You're missing out on people who are self-employed.
0: I will it, say I'm a member of Unite, which it's a general workers' union and thus open to all of those groups you mentioned.
1: Well, that's fantastic then, yes. Uh, that's <laughs> the kind of thing, I'm
0: not saying it doesn't exist, I'm saying... But you're right, different to... sectors have different unions, and in this case it's for truckers.
1: Getting into that though, even if you do have, because I have heard of renters' unions, I've heard of unemployed unions for people who are trying to find jobs, and I yeah, know these exist, but the problem is that then those unions' interests can still come into conflict with one another, even You're though right. in reality they should be united against the capitalists who are all of our enemy.
0: That's uh, very true. Yeah, so but, yeah,
1: I'm but, not saying it's entirely bad. I, In practice, today, here in a capitalist system that we live in, I'm 100% pro-union, and if anything, I think the problem is that more people should join unions. People who are not employed should try to find unions. We should all be in unions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Trade unions are imperfect, but they're an important part of our democracy. They've been weakened over the last few decades and it's just really it's a shame that the only way you can get funding for a film involving trade unions is be like yeah they're in with a mob right
1: it's a little analogous to what we said earlier about how we all hate cops but like cops without people of color in them would be even more corrupt and awful likewise trade unions under socialism would be a silly idea but we're not living under socialism we're living under capitalism we have to make do with the world that we live in sorry i don't mean to shrug it off by saying it's a silly idea no there's definitely (laughs) arguments for having unions within socialist organization but like just my point being that i don't even i'm stoned (laughs) (laughs) i made my points Drop
0: there is a scene early on in fist we're
1: in uh... a union.
0: Early on in Fist, there's just this random scene, but I swear they never expand upon. But it's just like they're at a union meeting and someone's banging on about communist agitation. Like, we, gotta, we, we, got, we can fight for our workers' rights without indulging these Bolshevik agitators in the movement. First, I want to thank Mike Monaghan
4: for the fancy introduction. I want to talk to you guys about something I've been seeing every place I go. Skirts! (laughs) Any of you real smart guys, want to crack wise, get the hell out of here and do it outside. I don't think the company sent you in here to disrupt this meeting. What I want to talk to you about is this business of Bolshevik agitating.
3: Have you come across any Bolsheviks?
4: You know what I mean? I seen him in Pittsburgh, I seen him in Detroit, and you got him right here in Cleveland. <clears throat> Fancy guys with smart words, lots of talk. They're trying to stir up good union men against the system. <laughs> now I know we got problems with the company, but that's why we're here, that's why we got a union. That's why we pledge to obey all the laws and to aid our member brothers. To iron these things out with our bosses, your bosses to make sure the company makes a profit. You know what I'm talking about, if the companies don't make a profit, we don't make a profit. Now, I want to talk to you about getting your dues in on time.
0: Get off your asses and pay your dues. Do you remember that the bit about Bolshevies yes agitators? Yeah. And a
1: saw... a few of the characters kinda of like roll their eyes.
0: I swear no that words. was literally in there just to make clear that Sylvester Sloan's character wasn't a communist. I think that <laughs> I think that was all about they just thought that or oh, maybe Sylvester Sloan himself, because he's obviously a man of the right, may have thought, Well, you know, uh, I, I don't want people thinking that just because I'm in this movie being a fucking trade unionist, but I'm some kind of goddamn commie. You know, I think you're
1: it's so offhand, and it never comes up again at all.
0: Yeah, you know, Sylvester Stallone, he's a very, you know, like a lot of kind of macho men, I think he's very insecure. Like, there's this story in oh, yeah. Elton John's hilarious autobiography. There's this great story about this party he threw for, like, Princess Diana and a bunch of other celebrities. And it was after she'd broken up with Prince Charles. And, like, Sylvester Stallone was just so desperate to shag her. But, like, Richard Gere was just putting all the moves on. And he's just, like, so much more charming and naturally a fucking, like, shagger. Than, uh, than Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> but like similarly, like around the time, you know, Warren Beatty, not a communist, but he made the film Reds, and he didn't give a shit. Like around the same time, if anyone like thought, he thought he was a communist or whatever, he would <laughs> he was gonna make a sympathetic film about a communist American journalist in the Bolshevik Revolution, and he didn't care who fucking knew it. But <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is it? It's all that fragile masculinity stuff they talk about.
3: <laughs>
0: oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I
3: think.
0: I'm accidentally mashing together toxic masculinity and white fragility there, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Might be both.
2: (laughs) Loveliness, we've lost these empty days. Without your smile, this torch will always carry For our nation's golden child And even though we try The truth brings us to tears All our words cannot express The joy you brought us through the years And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, never fading with the sunset when rain sets in, and your footsteps will always fall here along England's greenest hills. Your candles burned out long before your legend ever.
1: It's young people, it's crowdsourcing.